So Proverbs 29, verses 25 and 26. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here with us today. We thank you for your word. We say, as Jesus prayed, and we pray now, God, your word is truth. Sanctify us in your truth. Help us, God, through this time to be your people who are in the world but not of the world. Help us to be united in your truth. Help us to grow in our love for one another. Teach us this morning, Holy Spirit, the way of Jesus to not merely tolerate one another, to not merely manage our relationships, but to learn what it looks like to love you and to love one another in the freedom of the gospel that we have in your son Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, many of you, if not most of you, are familiar with the movie Alice in Wonderland. And one of the key characters in Alice in Wonderland, or I don't know if she's a key character, is the Queen of Hearts. And what is the Queen of Hearts' favorite saying? We hadn't talked back. Does anybody know? Off with her head, right? You can go to YouTube and look up an off with her head compilation as I did this week. Off with your head. She says in one place in that compilation, if I lose my temper, then you lose your head. You understand? Someone's head will roll for this, yours. Now, who wants to live in a relationship with somebody like that? I don't think any of us do. Who wants to live in relationships like that? Where every conversation with the Queen of Hearts produces some type of life or death risk, something so great that you might lose your head. Now, that would be anxiety. Talk about just wanting to survive the conversation, much less the relationship. Now, that sounds exhausting. Sounds like something you would want to run away from. I don't think any of us in here would say, I want to live like that. And yet, most of us in here, if not all of us, may have some version of that cycle in our lives. Sure, other people aren't going to take off our heads in most situations. But they sure can take a chunk out of your heart. They sure can poke that wound that for whatever reason in your life and your story is so sensitive that when that subject comes up, when that topic comes up, that a little tap, because you're so hurt there, feels like they just busted you in the shoulder. They might not can lop off a limb, but what they can do is they can reinforce these lies that have a deep, deep hold on the way you view yourself, on the way you view others, on the way you view the world, on the way you view your future. And this is why so many of us live with this level of anxiety that may, you may think, so it's not a big deal. And true, we're, there's different levels, right? There's, there's, and we're talking here just about a more common sort, but you, you live with it. This constant noise in the background that shapes how you relate with people. This reactivity that is generated by assumptions you bring into every relational encounter and these false beliefs that make relationships, for some of you, utterly exhausting. 
And for others of you, enriching to the point that they don't actually challenge you at the level of those assumptions and beliefs. And it's a vicious cycle. And all of us in here have figured out how to manage those things in such a way that only leads us to walking away going like, I made it. But not living in any type of freedom that we could walk into again. Some of you in here, that, that's maybe even how you walked into this room this morning. I know I'm supposed to be here. But there's going to be people there, and those people are going to make me feel certain things that I've got to manage so I can get away again to where life really is. And yet God, from the very beginning of the creation of people, has said what? You are created for relationships. Relationships flow from the fact that we are created in the image of God, in the image of a triune God. In the beginning, it was not so that relationships would be something you would have to manage so that you weren't drained and exhausted and emptied and anxious all the time. In the book of Ecclesiastes, what does it say? Two are better than one, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. Some of you know you're supposed to believe that, but you don't. Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by what a great quiet time you have and how many interesting podcasts on theology and emotional health you listened to this week. No. Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. Now all the introverts in the room are getting really squirrely right now probably. This is not about being introverted or extroverted. God has created us different, differently, and there's beauty in all of those things. The issue is if relationships for you are something that you have to manage because you live in an enslaving reality to the fear of man versus the freeing reality of the fear of the Lord. Escaping to the mountains is not the cure for your anxiety. Sorry. It's a gift. It's a place to replenish. It's a place to refresh. It's a place to go deeper with God. But if it's not in service of the love of God and the love of others as yourself, then it's not the way of Jesus. So Proverbs, and really all of God's Word, teaches us that the wise person in Scripture is not a perfect person, but a person who's learned to find a measure of peace, of shalom, of order, of wholeness in a fallen world in relationship with other fallen people. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that wisdom. So we must anchor our lives in the fear of the Lord if we want to experience freedom from the anxiety of the fear of man. That's where we're drilling in today. We must anchor our lives in the fear of the Lord if we want to experience freedom from the anxiety of the fear of man. How do we do this? Well, the first thing our text points us to today is we've got to reveal the entrapping, even enslaving, false safety of the fear of man. Notice verse 25 again, the first line. The fear of man lays a snare. 
What is the fear of man? The fear of man is an inflated view of the authority of other people. An inflated view. Not that they don't matter, right? You could go the other, the other extreme, right? People don't matter. The fear of man is an inflated view of others' opinions and others' power, which is not a healthy fear. But if you, if you look behind this Hebrew word, it is an anxious fear. It is a dread. It is a quaking, a trembling worry. What do they think? What are they thinking about me? And how do I have to manage that so that I can maintain my safety in this situation, in this relationship, or in my life? When it speaks of the fear of man, it speaks of the fear of other people. And the question for just all to ask today is, who, who are those people? Now, you might think that you could care less, and we'll get to that in a minute, but there are probably some people you care about and some people that you don't care what they think. But by nature, as humans who live in a world of broken relationships, there is likely something or someone whom you fear. And what this does, the text says here, is it lays a snare. That is, it sets the bait in a trap. But traps are not obvious. Or they wouldn't be good traps. So this is why, just like we talked about last week, that we have to do work to look in our vicious cycles because we're trapped in those cycles because they just seem normal to us. Right? So when you're talking about the fear of man laying a snare, you're going to have to go and do more than we can do here in the time that we have and figure out where this looks, where this looks inviting where it offers relief, but where you are playing into a trap that keeps you in a cycle of managing a relationship that only deepens the anxiety you have as a person in this world and even in the body of Christ. And it's a trap. Why is it a trap? Because you end up living a lie. You become a double-minded person, as the Word says. You really aren't known by people. You just become a version of whatever they need you to be in that moment so that they feel good and so that you don't have to feel worse. So you're never really known. So then you're, you're never really loved and you never really feel safe. And you continue the cycle. I'm preaching this sermon this morning not from a place of strength. And oftentimes what surprises me when it comes to pastors... I heard this from several pastors and several ministry leaders. You've probably heard it too. They joke and say things like this. I would love the ministry if it wasn't for the people. Right? Horrible joke. But if you just hang around, right? Just saying it out loud. Here's another thing that you'll hear. And I bet some of you have said it before you start pointing the finger. Is, I'm not really a people person. Now that's really curious when you hear a pastor or a minister or someone at Lee, right? I'm going into ministry, but I'm not really a people person. Probably a good time to call a time out. But what we do is we just chalk that up merely to personality. When oftentimes it has something to do with personality, but it has a lot to do with anxiety. This is why some, of people, some people really love dogs or animals more than they like people. Now, I, I want to make a full confession here. I only not struggle with fear of man. I struggle with fear of dogs. That's how much I'm not in a place. You can ask my wife. We have two dogs. 
my experience with them is one of deep anxiety. Every time I deal with these dogs, I think, am I caring for these dogs well? And you know, they're looking at you, right? I don't know what they're thinking. So again, not from a place of strength. They're thinking something. And then I'm worried what everybody else thinks about how I care about my dogs. So I have fear of dogs, not just fear of man. Just like we get weird in recreating our stories, we can get weird in how we manage our relationships, how we manage our anxiety. And some of you maybe are that way. But Jesus tells us that the height of spiritual maturity is not just how we love others, but even how we love our enemies. And people who don't like people are not people who are living in the way of Jesus. And they end up trapped in loneliness and apathy and often evil. And they keep saying things like, I just like to be by myself, but why? Because they fear man, but the fear of man does not provide safety. The fear of man lays a snare. The first thing we have to do to be freed from this is we've got to reveal what that's like. And that looks different for all of us. In the book of Proverbs, it talks about something called flattery. Maybe more fancy talk would be something called codependence. But if you don't like that word, if that sounds too whatever for you, then go with flattery. What it is is that you care too much about what others think. It means that you're only okay on the inside if it looks like others are okay on the outside. And so you manage the relationship by, I've got to make you okay. So flattery, I'm going to say to you what I think you need to hear so that you give me what I need so that I can have peace. It's the fear of man. But others of you react in a different way. It's not codependence, it's not flattery, it's independence. It's I don't care. And you may have mistakenly thought, this is not an issue for me. But no, it's an issue. This is how you learn to deal with it. I don't like people, so I detach. I don't care. I'm mean. I'm quick. I'm blunt. Why? Because I want to cut it off because I don't want to deal with the relationship. And then what we can all do, whether we go towards flattery or we go towards this, this fighting stance, is oftentimes when we're anxious, what, did, what does somebody who's really anxious with somebody else do? They go get the third person. Major unhealthy move perfected by churches and Christians, right? Now, it's good to have somebody else to talk to if they lead us in the way of the way of Jesus and not in the way that takes us deeper in our flattery, our fakeness, or our fighting. This is the fear of man, so what do we do? We have to go to man. We're trapped in the cycle. And why this is so appealing is because the whole story of God tells us, we can just look back into Genesis. What happened to sinners in the world? They hide. And then what do they do? They blame. And then what do we hear is going to happen? Now they're going to live in relationships marked with anxiety where they try to manage one another. 
And the cycle of sin will go on and on. And all of us come into that story with that big $5 word, original sin. We come into the world played with anxiety and idolatry. We live in relationships with people where at some point along the way, like it or not, you experience some kind of rejection or abandonment. And then this distorted narrative takes root in your life that's builds this toxic shame of who am I, do I matter? And then we try to deal with that by managing our relationships. And the fear of man runs wild. And the anxiety just runs deeper. Good desires become idols and demands. Wounds deepen and lies fill to reality. And where does it end? you got to find relief somewhere. And that relief usually takes place in sins of escape. Because that's all you got. you got to get out of there, don't you? That's why some of you look at pornography. It's not a lust problem. Lust and pornography is how you're dealing with the problem. Some of you eat your anxiety away. Some of you... Scroll your anxiety away. Some of you shop your anxiety away. Some of you work your anxiety away. Some of you church your anxiety away. But it's not going anywhere because you're just dealing with the fear of man, with the resources of man. Relief-seeking comes from managing relationships, not from messy relationships. And it's exhausting, it's emptying, and it's a false path. It's a trap to be seen, to be safe, and to find the shalom, the peace that God wants to bring. So where do we go? Now, this is where the Word of God might surprise you. It's not with less fear, it's with a better, bigger fear. Verse 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Verse 26 will say, many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord a man gets justice. The fear of the Lord is the way that you can stay in relationships with people, but not be controlled by relationships with people, so that you have to manage relationships with people. What is the fear of the Lord? It's a right-sized view of God, and God is way bigger than we can imagine. And the rest of our lives, if you've already read that theology book and you think, I've got down who God is, we're all mistaken. The rest of our lives should be a deepening exploration into the greatness of who God is. Not so that you can impress your friends in a debate about the nature of God, but so that you can live in freedom from the fear of man. God has got to be the biggest person in any room you walk in. The biggest person... In any part of your life story, the biggest person in any decision, any conflict, any conversation that you have. The fear of the Lord is not to give us a teaching so that we walk on eggshells as if God is waiting for us to do something wrong so that he can strike us down. The fear of the Lord is not a doctrine that is given to us to increase our anxiety. No, Proverbs, the Word of God says the fear of the Lord is to free us from our anxiety. 
The fear of the Lord is the only way that God becomes right-sized and you become right-sized and the people that you are in relationship become right-sized. But the question is, notice here, the fear of the Lord, all caps. We have to say this every time we come across it. When it's in all caps, at least in this translation, it means it's translating the word Yahweh or Jehovah. If it's in lower caps, it's usually translating the word Adonai. So what's the significance? Why would the author here, why would the Spirit inspire that all caps? Because Yahweh is the is the name that Israel used as their personal God. It was actually a name that they wouldn't even speak at times because every time they came across it, it was a word that reminded them of how great God was. They would not say, whoever trusts in Yahweh is safe. They would say Adonai, but they'd be looking at the words and everybody would be kind of cutting their eyes. We know we're talking here about Yahweh. My Hebrew professor wouldn't even let us Say Yahweh. Why? Why is this so important? Because many of us have a concept of God does not, that does not match our actual image of God. If God is not a real person in the room, then that other person and those other people will always be bigger. God cannot be a list God cannot be reduced to a doctrinal statement of a list. God cannot be treated as a memo. God cannot be viewed as rules for righteous living. God has got to be understood as the personal God in the story of Israel that comes to culmination in the person and work of Jesus who brings all things to their great and perfect end. Ed Welch says, We often live where people are big and God is small. And when that is the case, we will be stuck in a vicious cycle of managing relationships. Notice again, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Now this needs to be clarified. You are not safe from people not liking you. That's not what it's saying. Those of you like me have to take a deep breath and say, there are going to be people who don't like me. And I've got to accept that in this fallen world. And to the degree that you don't accept that, and I'm about acceptance, I'm not saying you're like cool with that. I'm just saying like this is life. Then you will manage relationships and have great anxiety. One of the things that I've been having to learn and this is so much pride behind this, I'm so ashamed to even say it, is I'm not for everyone. You might think, well, duh. Well, that's, that's how these lies and pride lie. I've got to make myself for everyone. Not safe from people not liking us. It doesn't mean you'll be safe from people having feelings about you. It doesn't mean you'll be safe from people hurting you. So what does it mean? It means you'll be safe from losing yourself and becoming a double-minded person who finds yourself in foolish cycles living in the fear of man. You're safe from losing your soul. You're safe from losing your peace of mind. You're safe from losing your personhood. When we live in the fear of the Lord, we find ourselves safe. 
so that we don't have to walk into rooms, to relationships, to conflict, to conversations. How many opportunities in our life that the Lord maybe was calling us to step into that we didn't step into because we were not afraid of the task before us, but we were afraid of the relational issues we would have to navigate if we stepped into that space. But the Lord wants to free us for this. Not so that we become detached people who love less, but so that we become people who love more. You've probably seen these movies, uh, the, like the Liam Neeson movies, all the ones about uh, kidnapping people. or I, I don't know why that came to mind. But anyway, or the, just anyway, you got me. I had it written out here, but here we go. Uh, they're, they're calling somebody, they're, they're, the bad guy is sitting by the person and the per, telling the person what to say to their family. And, some, and the bad guy in the room can get them to say whatever they want because they're like, hey, if you don't say what I want, I'm going to kill your daughter. And so they're like on there like, yeah, I hate you, never, never talk to me again. Why? Because there's... There's this bigger fear, right? In this situation, I would never act like this. But now that this big fear is brought into the room, all of a sudden I'm saying things and doing things that I wouldn't ever do. Now, flip the script with me here. God is not the bad guy. But just imagine if every conversation you had is... Is you just you just got real, he's sitting right there with you. Not with a gun to your head, but with his arm around you. I love you. Yeah, this person, they might not like you, they might hurt you, they might misunderstand you, but I got you. And I'm I'm bigger than them. We're, we're gonna make it through this. Yeah, you tell the truth, you might lose your job. Yeah, you, you have that conversation and it might make that friendship messy for a while, but I want you to live in the freedom of the truth that sets you free. You see, God is not a stoic, detached presence in our lives, but the God of the Bible is a holy presence with a healthy passion. And we've got to learn to step into these spaces with him. I wonder, what, how would it change how you step into your family meal? How would it change how you step into your fight club, into your, into your dorm room, into your marriage, into your parenting? If the fear of the Lord became the biggest reality in that space. I guarantee you this, it's not going to get easier. But we're not about easier, we're about better. We're about freedom. So we've got to practice this. It means that we've got to invite the fear of the Lord into the anxious managing of our relationships. We've got to be aware. Some of us aren't even aware. And like we said last week, just ask somebody, how do you experience me? And they might say, when you sit down in front of me, I can tell the wheels are turning. And that's okay. Right? <laughs> but we've got to pay attention to what's happening inside of us. So many of us carry this pressure with us. Right? 
We're just carrying this pressure. What This inner critic. These assumptions. These false beliefs. And we're coming to the table with people and, and nobody ever really gets to know us and we never really get to see if people would love us or they would accept us or they would forgive us. And we need to be able to just pause and take a deep breath and be aware of that. And we have some resources that can help you with this. We have one that, you know, it's just a card of eight basic feelings. It's pretty basic. You can just look at it and say, hey, I'm going to start paying attention. And you know, usually when you can't figure out where to start on that list, you know it's a good one to start with and explore? Fear. Because fear leads to that anxiety. And you know, this is where we don't stop there, but this is where we use those six questions that we, we try to train people in and equip people to know, and that is, okay, I'm feeling this fear. I've got this going on in my heart. God, what do you have to say about that? So oftentimes we act like God all of a sudden does not exist when we're trapped. Like, what does your word have to say? All that Bible study, reading, and books, uh, let's put it to use, you know, in real life. Hey, wh what do you have to say? My inner critic right now tells me this person's judging me. Do you have anything to say about judgment or condemnation? And me, maybe. Who are you? Maybe, maybe you're a God of peace. What have you done? Who am I? What should I do now in this relationship? Why does the Spirit have me here? And then as we learn more about that in the fear of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord, then we learn how to talk to other people. Because oftentimes anxiety is the elephant in the room of all of our relationships. Now it's going to take some boldness, it's going to take some time, it's going to take some courage. But some of the things that we need to learn to do is to grow in this. And here are some things many of us have been trying is, is to learn to not fight the other person, but to just be aware of the dynamic that's going on. So here's a few phrases you can try out if you want to lean into the fear of the Lord. Most of you have heard these. first one is, here's the story I'm telling myself. Here's the story I'm telling myself. You're going to have to be brave, right? You probably have to do a lot of this along with the Lord. Here's the story I'm telling myself. Right now, you're thinking this about me. Is that right or wrong? And then you're, if they don't want to be honest, that's fine. Here's what I'm feeling right now, right? When I see you, I'm feeling some guilt because I didn't respond to your text message. So we can sit here and just leave that in the air, or I'm just going to say it. Right? Oh, that'll take a lot of the... Right? And some of you are going to be like, well, I, never, I don't even think about things like that. And you're going to realize, whoa, well, the, these other people, right? There's a whole other world out there. But what we have to do in the fear of the Lord is quit playing God and trying to manage what they're thinking, feeling, or assuming. That's right, Dave. Fear no man. Right? Because that's where the relationship breaks down. You want relationship. You want to be known. You want to be loved. You want to belong. But you'll be stuck in a vicious cycle of loneliness and shame and fear if you don't learn to actually show up and be the person that you are before the fear of the Lord. You have to be able to say, they can hurt me, but I'm going to tell the truth. I can love them, but I can't be God. 
We have to learn to be connected with people but not be controlled by how they feel. We have to learn to care for people but not become their caretaker. We have to be empathetic but we cannot become enmeshed as if now we don't even have a person. That will not put us in a situation to love however loving it may feel, and how much people have loved you doing that your whole life. That's what's going to be hard. Some of you in here, you got a lot of mileage out of this. And guess what? It's great for everybody else. And it might work, guys, in your 18, in your 20s, but you're going to come at some point in your life where you're going to be exhausted. You probably already are. You're going to throw in the towel. Because the fear of man lays a snare, but in the fear of in, but those who trust in the Lord are safe. Another big word for this is differentiation. This is Jesus, the way of Jesus. Think about Jesus' relationship with Peter. What would you do with Peter? You'd probably tell Peter to leave or you would leave. A relationship with a guy who tells you you're wrong. And you're Jesus. And Jesus actually says to him, get behind me, Satan. But then what does Jesus do? Does Jesus leave the relationship? No. No, Then what does Peter do? Peter, I got to wash your feet. You're not washing my feet. Jesus doesn't say, I don't want to make Peter feel bad. This could ruin everything. If I stop and talk about this, no, said Peter, I gotta wash your feet. He washed his feet. Then going to the cross, what happens? This joker just denies him three times, even after Jesus says, You're gonna do this. No, I won't do it. And then there's this beautiful scene on the other side of the resurrection where Peter comes up to Jesus, making him breakfast, and Jesus restores him. Now, not every story and every relationship's in that way, but the way of Jesus is the way of I can be me, I can tell the truth, and I can keep loving you even when it's hard. Why? Because Jesus lived in the fear of the Lord. One person says this between stimulus and response, there is a space, and in that space, there is the power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. As we live in this, we have to be honest, though. As we learn to be a non-anxious presence, it doesn't mean, again, it will be easier. You will be tired, but you won't be weary. You will be sad, but you won't have your soul sucked from living for others' approval. You will be needy, but you'll find Jesus is enough. And this is our next point. As we come to the Lord's table, as we do if you're new here each week. Verse 26 says, Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. We'll not only grow in living in the freedom of the fear of the Lord versus the fear of man by revealing it or by resolving to live in the fear of the Lord, but the last thing is by resting in the king, the true and better king who loves us. Many seek the face of a ruler to get justice. What is the text saying? To seek someone's face is... You want them to see you, right? You want to get close to them so that you see them and they see you. This word means to have favor, to gain approval. We go to other people 
in this world who we view as an authority, and often they are of some sort, and we think they're the ones who's going to bring peace and justice to our lives and to our story. But it's never enough. It's never enough. The text says it is only from the Lord that a man will get that justice. That justice is not that everything is made right now, but it is the promise that through the finished work of the true and better king, everything will be set to rights. But can we trust God enough to try these things, to be this hopeful? I have so much guilt and shame and fear over even trying to preach this message after living a week like I've lived this week. You know what's the worst thing about this? I don't want to do it. I do want to go to the mountains and just stay there and read my books and write my stuff. And it's not just because I want to enjoy the Lord and the beauty of the creation. It's because I don't want to have to have long conversations with people. It's because I don't want to have to to invest the time in being known and knowing others. It's because I don't want the sadness it will require. I don't want the sacrifice. If this starts and ends with me, there is no hope. If it starts and ends with you, there is no hope. If you say, I'm going to go try this this week, and we'll see how it goes, and if it doesn't go well, back to the mountains, back to flattery, or back to fleeing away then already don't try it. Our only hope is in one, a true and better king who was willing to embrace the sadness and the sacrifice so that we could be set free from the fear of man. And he did. Isn't this amazing? In the incarnation, Jesus said, I'm leaving the mountains and I'm going into the mess. He said relationships are a mess worth making. Relationship with you, relationship with me, relationship as you read through the Gospels. Jesus always deeply cared about people. He could stay close and connected to people, but he was never controlled by them or let them control him. He did this in ways that we never can. His life is our righteousness, but also his death. Where is it more clear but the cross? That Jesus did not say, I'm just going to make them feel all right. Or I'm going to just retreat and not be in relationship. No, he said, this is how much I'm willing to be the truth, to say the truth. I will go to this cross. I will let them crucify me. And then as they crucify me on that cross, because I will not compromise who I am or what the Father sent me to do, I will pray from that very place, Father, forgive them. We can't do that, no matter how hard we try. The only way this works is we have got to have Jesus as our true and better king taking on judgment for us, from us, in the fear of the Lord, dying for our sins of people-pleasing, dying for our sins of people-avoiding, and rising to give us the Spirit so that we can now increasingly and progressively grow in the path of freedom from the fear of man. On the other side of the emancipation of proclamation, the free announcement of the freedom of slaves in our country, 
What's surprising as a part of that history is not all of those who were enslaved chose to actually leave. There was a fear of life actually might be safer if we stay here than being out there on our own. A quote attributed to Harriet Tubman says, I was free, but there was no one to welcome me to the land of freedom. I was a stranger in a strange land. If you're getting what I'm saying and what I believe God's word is saying this morning, that might be how you're going to feel. I want to live in freedom from the fear of man. But we don't live in a world that wants you to. And this is the good news of the gospel, is we have someone to welcome us there in Jesus. To walk with us as we stumble. You know what? You're going to sin if you try to do this against people. You're, you're, just, you're going to get it wrong. It's like riding a bike. You're going to fall down. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's right. So you're going to be needy, but you're going to have to realize there's going to be forgiveness for me. And I can ask that forgiveness of others. You're going to be given the power of the Spirit. So we come to the table in a second. The new covenant promises there's once for all forgiveness of sin. But there's also the gift of the Spirit to enable us so that we can go and do battle with these idols, with these wounds and these lies that are so deeply rooted in who we are. There's not only pardon and power, but there's patience. Some of us that have lived in the grip of the fear of man, a good, you might say, I might, I might get this right one out of a hundred times this week. Right? I'm not saying don't set high goals. I'm just saying, be patient. The Lord will be patient with you, and he's not going to give up on you. And then practice it. Practice this. There are some queen of hearts in this world. And we all got the scars to show it. But there is a greater king in this world. And because he's the ones holding us, we don't have to let anxiety reign in our hearts and rule our relationships. But the only way we'll get there is by revealing the entrapping snare of the fear of man, by resolving to live in the greater fear of the Lord, and by resting in the loving leadership of the true and better King Jesus. That's how we anchor our lives in the fear of the Lord and experience freedom from the anxiety of the fear of man. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now as we come to the table, would you remind us again that it is finished and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.